And it's great to have back in what is his normal time slot with us on Tuesdays, the one, the only, Vince Ferrara, who is, of course, fresh off of finishing Sports 180, where he's sitting in for Josh Ward this week. Vince, how the heck are you? I am good, gentlemen. Really shocked. I think it's because of the great guest lineup you have other than this hour. Really shocked that not that one or both of you didn't opt out of today's show based <laughs> on this hour. But anyway, still glad to be here. <laughs> Well, Jimmy was able to talk me off the ledge, and so I uh, <laughs> decided to hang out for just a little bit. But it uh, there's so much going on, and, and obviously a lot of folks are watching with uh, full attention on what's going on with the Miami Marlins. Vince, how concerned are you? How big a red flag? Do you look at it and say, okay, we'll get really concerned if there's another team that falls into a similar situation? Or is, hey, everybody just pay attention? Well, it may be sort somewhere in between, John, because you do get more nervous. It's, it's Major League Baseball seemingly, even though they did have some positive tests here and there, Major League Baseball, the percentages were pretty good, and you'd have one player here and there scattered around. You didn't have a spread throughout a team. That's where it gets concerning. And then you wonder, all right, where were the failures? Did they know that? this was likely an entire team outbreak and they decided to play despite, I don't know, they had the three positive tests, I guess, in one wave, and then they decided to still play. My thing is that where I haven't heard anything about their communication with the Phillies. Mm -hmm. Did they check with them and say, all right, here's the deal. Want to? We're going to decide what we want to do. What do you, are you guys comfortable doing Oh, by the way, Major League Baseball, what do you think about the situation? So there's a lot of questions still, I think, that are unclear about how all that went down. And if we find out that there was negligence, arrogance, uh, just lack of protocol and system and planning, then I, I will raise my level of concern. But just on a, a large group on one team, I'm not willing to go overboard that this is the end of MLB, college football, NFL, and anything in existence for the history of time. Um, and so I'm not ready to go there yet. I want to find out more. And Major League Baseball taking the significant steps today. They had initially shut, shut down a couple of games for the Marlins and then the Yankees-Nationals game uh, as well. Now they've shut down the Marlins through the week. And before that, the Nationals said they weren't going to travel down to Miami to play their games this weekend against them. So I think that forced the hand of Major League Baseball to say, all right, we got to get a hold of, of this Marlins situation. We're not shutting them down for the year. we got to figure this out first. And thankfully, to my knowledge to this point, there haven't been any Phillies or any other teams that have been in contact with the Marlins that have been shut down too. So um, it, it's, it makes you nervous a little bit, but uh, if they can get through this week and everyone can get back to those negative tests for the players and there, there aren't further ramifications and dominoes that start spreading around the league, then they can get by with the Marlins having played a few, some fewer games and then, you know, if they're in the mix for a playoff spot, you probably have to go towards winning percentage. But it, it, 
so be it. If that's the case, this is going to be sports for the rest of this year, and who knows how far beyond. You're not going to have things perfect, uh, so you're going to have to suck it up. If that's the, but if that's the the end of the ramifications, and I think Major League Baseball would have responded to this well. We'll see how they do with it. We invite you to join us this hour to be a part of the conversation as Vince is with us until 5 o'clock, 656-9900, 656-9900. There's been much made about what NFL players could encounter, Vince, if based on reckless behavior they were to expose themselves or their teammates or you name it to COVID or the coronavirus. Uh, what do you think? Do you, and they could face fines or discipline from the team and could wind up losing their pay. Do you think that we might see some sort of discipline like that in other leagues as well in terms or to uh, just see – if they can't incentivize people to really walk the straight and narrow? Well, I think it depends on the strength of the unions in those sports and where the power falls. In Major League Baseball, good luck with that. Look what they couldn't argue. They, they couldn't come to an agreement on, on the season for so long and then decide on the playoffs at literally the last moment. Are, are they now going to come into a, come to agreement on player punishment when they've already started the process? I, I don't see that. They should have put something like that in place, but maybe with the baseball union's power, their guaranteed contracts, all that, that, that that's it's you know maybe it wouldn't have happened as well. The football players, it um, you know it, they put it in place already and. It was kind of last minute also, but at least they've moved forward on it, and it's something that the the players union has to to deal with. I'm okay with it. It goes back to college when you're talking about giving kids waivers. It's a shared responsibility, the the waivers to have them sign. It doesn't eliminate any litigation that – anyone, any of those players or families could put towards the schools. What it does is it minimizes it because it says, look, you have your responsibility in this as well. You're impacting other people's and the other people in the entire, the potential continuation of this sport. So you have to do your part as well. You can't be reckless and then get COVID and spread it. The season comes to an end and then you sue us for not doing your part in it. So there's a lot of gray area in that. I get that, and it could get very messy. But I, I think it's a reflection that there are there are shared responsibilities in this. Some people are and have, in many, many cases, have gotten it when they've taken every possible precaution they could that they were aware of. But when you go beyond that and you start putting yourself and other people at risk, and it it can shut down your team and your league and cost everybody lots and lots of money, then yes, there should be penalties for uh, those high-risk situations that you can avoid putting yourself and everybody else into. Vince, if you're a former Tennessee tight end, uh, you didn't have a good run as far as the NFL uh, releasing players. Alex Ellis? Uh, Ethan Wolf, Dominic Wood Anderson all were released. And then a former Tennessee tight end who ended up at Georgia got released as well. That was a lot of hits on tight ends. 
That's right. And it, if your last, if your tight end and your last name wasn't Whitten or Croom, it was a tough week for you last week. Uh, those guys survived, but everybody else. Yeah, Ethan Wolf has bounced around, and his latest team is the Rams. And then uh, you mentioned Alex Ellis with the Eagles and Dominic Wood Anderson, a rookie with the Seahawks. It's tough. If you're a rookie and you're already getting clipped, I know it was an undrafted free agent, and there were others around the league that got cut. But with the league bringing the total of 80 players down before they start those real practices on the 17th and just limiting the number, having less players around the facility, uh, it doesn't surprise me that teams are starting to get to a shorter number now. They're also not going to be able to evaluate as many players as well because they're going to have limited practices. They're not going to have the scrimmages with other teams. They're obviously not going to have preseason. So this is a year where you may need to, to take a pass on, on evaluating a bunch of other players and giving other players a chance. You're still going to have an expanded practice squad but it's so tough to pass a lot of players on a depth chart when you're an undrafted free agent, and now you're suddenly back out on the market looking for a team. That's going to be very difficult for Dominic Wood Anderson. And then Khalil McKenzie, you know, it's unfortunate. Good, good team there with the Seahawks, and the Seahawks released Dominic Wood Anderson as well. So you went with Daryl Taylor, who's, of course, inked his rookie deal, uh, earlier today, that was released. He went from having two VFL teammates with him in Seattle to kind of you know be buddies there and helping that transition to now being the lone one there, with McKenzie and Wood Anderson being let go on Sunday. And we're probably going to see even before they get to those full practices, Jimmy. We're probably going to see more because there are a number of others that are on the fringe and others that were undrafted free agents. I'm not predicting who specifically would get cut, but I think just from a number standpoint, there's there's some that aren't in a solid ground as others, and especially if they're in, in a you know in a position where there's a lot of depth. And then it's unfortunate for Nigel Warrior as well to be put on that COVID-19 reserve list by the Ravens. Great again, like with McKenzie and Dominic Wood Anderson, great franchise, but they've they've got some depth there in the secondary and on that defense. You didn't have anything in the off season to be able to really prove yourself to those teams and try to get to your team and try to get better. You would have had limited opportunities in the preseason, excuse me, during uh, preseason practices. And now you're on that COVID reserve list. I, you know, I'm not sure how long he's going to be in there. We'll see. But it's again, it puts him in such a difficult position, and it's a shame as a rookie that, with all the other things that were said against him, that he won't uh, get as good of a shot, uh, a maximum shot under the circumstances. He's, as you guys know, he's been through a lot, overcome adversity stuck it out at the University of Tennessee, and he's a tough-minded kid. So uh, he'll, I, I think he'll bounce back, but I think it makes it tough for him this year unless the Ravens already felt so good about him that they, in their mind, they may feel like, hey, he is worth 
an investment on the expanded practice squad. I hope that's the case. And just to clarify for anyone, that COVID-19 reserve list is not necessarily that a player has tested positive. It's that either he has tested positive or he's been in close contact with someone that did test positive and is currently in quarantine. So that's the distinction. He was one of six that was put on that list on Sunday. There were 18 more around the league that were placed there yesterday, including a couple of noteworthy rookies, first-round pick Justin Jefferson of the Vikings and Vanderbilt running back, mid-round pick of the Bucks, Keyshawn Vaughn. The NFL hasn't released today's list around the league. I imagine there'll be some more, and you just hope all those guys, including Warrior, will come out of that feeling okay and not having anything long-term slowing them down. Our guest, Vince Ferrara, will get a break. To join us, 656-9900-656-9900. Star 990 is free for AT&T and U.S. Cellular customers. The toll-free number, 1-866-656-9900. That's how you join Sports Talk on 99.1, the sports animal. 99.1, the sports animal. Just because your workday is boring doesn't mean your radio station has to be. Sports Talk rolls on with Jimmy Hyams. I'm John Wilkerson. Our guest, Vince Ferrara, to join the conversation, 656-9900-656-9900. Star 990 is free for AT&T and U.S. Cellular customers. The toll-free number, 1-866-656-9900. Vince, we have seen a couple of conferences already announced that they will be conference games only and that the Big Ten and the Pac-12, Pac-12 being the one that uh, says that they're going to do uh, 10 conference games, and some are saying now that this should be the new standard, that all conferences should play 10 conference games each year. What do you think to that conversation? You buying it at all? No. Um, I'm not buying that they're going to do it. <laughs> um, I, I don't, I don't if see it, it. If it were it up would... to you, would you like it to be that? I think so. Even if it's not 10, I would take nine across the board. Um, you know, because if you want to have your natural rivals outside, uh, you know, in-state or, or whatever, that could get you the 10th and then give schools two games flexibility to schedule, you know, either buy games. So that way you still have a group of fives and FCS that have an opportunity to get, get a payday, but you're not – it doesn't give you a long list and multiple really bad games, especially early in the year. It would at least cut back on those non-conference games. For, from a from a fan standpoint, uh, ten would be great. You'd have more really good matchups. But because I, I don't see that happening, unless the Power Fives were to separate from. Uh, everybody else, and in, in the including in the NCAA, which I'm not ruling out, if they were to do something like that and do their own playoffs, and you didn't have the all the maneuvering you needed to do with with scheduling to you know try to position yourself for the playoffs, it could be really everyone would be playing closer to an even schedule. I would be ideal, but that, I just don't see them doing that. Everyone 
wants to to position themselves in a in a different way. Um, I, I would take nine. I would like ten. I would certainly take nine conference. Having it a little bit more uniform would would be something I'd enjoy. But I'm not holding my breath waiting for that, Jim. What do you think, Jimmy? I guess I'm on the same path as Vince. I would like to see a 10-game conference schedule. I don't think there's any way in the world they will adopt that. I think there are enough coaches out there that don't want to be beating up on each other. I remember when they went to eight games and they had expansion, the late Pat Dye at Auburn said the SEC will never win another national championship, and then the next year Alabama won one. But that's the mindset of the coaches. They they uh, value their jobs, and if you add two more conference games, that's – likely two more losses for somebody, and I think you'll have more attrition in the coaching ranks if you do that. So I would be surprised if they did it. Would I like it? Sure. Would TV like it? Yes. Would fans of college football like it? Yes, they would. I don't think that we will see the Power Five conferences break away from the NCAA because you're dealing with more than just football here. You're dealing with a lot of other sports. So I don't think that would happen. Uh, so I think they will continue to stay under the NCAA's umbrella, but uh, and I and I don't I, I don't think the SEC is going to go to ten games. I don't know about uh, some some other conferences maybe bumping it up to ten, but I, I don't I don't think the SEC would ever do that. I may be surprised, but I don't think they'll do it. And guys, here here's something that you, in its in its own. I think it's hard in its own bubble because. I think those things that we've talked about are are true, are important, but what comes with it? If you add conference games for the SEC, you better be expanding the playoffs if you're going to do that, because if it's you're going to make it more difficult to get in or have one only be undefeated or one loss, you better reopen the pathway to get in, and I think the SEC would feel good about that, but then what's the what do the other games look like? If you add a ninth conference game, are you still putting limitations on your league members on how they can schedule those other three games? Or are you going to still mandate that you play a power five? Uh, or are you going to say no FCS? Is that, does that move, is it accompanied with anything else? That's what I think would determine whether they would do something like that. Six five six ninety nine hundred six five six ninety nine hundred. Vince, do you think that the SEC will be the last to uh, to to announce its plan in terms of its approach, or do you think it'll follow closely on the heels of if they continue to work with or get to a point where they're ready to announce, along with the ACC and the Big Twelve, that there is some sort of scheduling cooperation? Well, shortly, that's that's an interesting word, cooperation, John. Pretty novel idea. <laughs> um, I, when, when the Big Ten announced and then the Pac-12 as the typical little brother that it is uh, followed suit, I thought shortly thereafter you started seeing stories that maybe the ACC, the SEC, and the Big 12 could work together because they had a lot of similarities in games scheduled with each other in non-conference. And it looked like there may be some of that, air quote, cooperation uh, amongst that group. And I thought, I think that would be great. It would be a way for you to manage things. You're not, you're scheduling this year without being 
while being different than the Big Ten and the Pac-12, but it's still having it operable for your season uh, because of those shared games. But then as more time is going on, you start to see them do their own thing. The ACC then talked about adding Notre Dame as a, as a one-year conference member. And, and I get that because that would allow them to potentially still keep their games with the SEC intact with those in-state rivals. So I, 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 I get that. Um, and then the Big 12, they first were talking, Oklahoma moved their season opener up a week try to give them some flexibility. I know some Tennessee fans weren't happy about that because then if the, they do play the schedule as is, it would give Oklahoma a bye week before Tennessee. And and now you're talking about the league maybe going that route to move games up because they want some built-in flexibility in their scheduling should games have to get moved. That That's also – still trying to keep hope that you're going to be able to play all of your non-conference games against group of fives and FCS. So that tells me that they haven't settled on power five only scheduling right now, that they're still digging their heels in thinking that they can play a full season schedule. And I think the SEC, even though they're looking at power five only or non-conference only types of plans, hypothetically, I still think they're they're hopeful that they're going to get all their games in, and and I would expect because they're now the ACC is doing their meetings tomorrow, and they may have a decision before the SEC and the Big Twelve. Now, does that mean that they don't have a plan with all of them in place, and they'll be the first ones to to spit it out? Perhaps. But that might lead me to believe that they are going – they may have some cooperation, but they're still going to move forward with their own plan. Big 12, it has – at least you've heard more about what they're hoping to do by spreading things out, and that would leave the SEC. I would expect, yes, to answer questions on the SEC to be last, but that's discouraging for me. I think the best thing is that for, for these schools to be realistic – and either do conference only together or have a plan in place to do one non-conference and play the games that they have scheduled and fill in the blank with the others amongst the three conferences and let's move forward so you have ten games as a total or maybe even nine, and then you can have those built-in extra weeks as a backup in case you have to move them I would like them to be more realistic versus holding off, not doing working together and cooperating because they're still want to hold out hope for an entire season. That's Vince Ferrara. I'm John Wilkerson along with Jimmy Hyams. We've got more with Vince coming up as you listen to Sports Talk on 99.1, The Sports Animal. Sports Talk continues. Our guest, Vince Ferrara, as he joins us on the Stanley Fencing and Gates Hotline. To join us, 656-9900, 656-9900. I'm John Wilkerson with Jimmy Hyams. Vince, we had Trent Dilfer on, and he runs that Elite 11 camp, and he said of Caden Salter, he's a dude, man. He's smart. He's a passer first. He can run. 
Uh, he actually, because of his running ability, makes the passing game a little bit easier because you got to be honest with it. And he's got the frame to gain 25 pounds. He Dilford's really high on Caden Salter, and uh, and I think Tennessee's got him a great commitment right there. Absolutely, and those things are the qualities that you're looking for, especially in the modern-day quarterback where someone that has the ability to make plays with their legs but their pocket first, their pass first. And it doesn't mean that anyone that is the reverse, legs first, passing second. You know, people labeled Lamar Jackson that, but he still, even though he wasn't the most accurate passing quarterback, he still threw for a lot of yards at Louisville, and that was still maybe a little bit of an underrated part of his game. But in today's football, you cannot have a stationary quarterback that's pocket only. Not going to work. And you need to be able to have some elements of throwing on the run, of zone read that you can mix in, and uh, and someone that can understand what all of it put together will be in today's football and make those good decisions. He's, a, from all accounts, a very coachable kid, and I really respect Trent Dilfer's opinion those elite 11 camps when they've aired them have been so much fun to watch because you get to hear not only his coaching and critique on all those players but you you get to hear the interaction and the other coaches that are there in his camp it's not just him hear their interaction with the players so hopefully we get a chance to to hear that but when Chet Dilfer saying those things about a quarterback I take a lot of stock in that, and Tennessee should be really excited. And I, when I know one other thing on Salter, I remember watching a lot of his tape. He'd have, I thought at times he had a little bit of an elongated delivery. I wonder if they, I'm not, I'm not sure if he talked much about it with you, if that's something that they kind of quietly worked with anything in terms of his mechanics. But he did, he did have a, a, a he does get the ball out of his hand quick. But it's still kind of a little, I thought, a little loopy at times in some of the tape that I saw. So I wonder if something moving forward from the settings that he's seen them, if that's something that he can be better at at Tennessee and when they do the finals. You mentioned that a pocket passer only will not work. Did you mean in college or the pros or both? College. Col- I mean, yeah, I think there's still a little bit more of that element. I mean, Tom Brady you would put in that category – to where, yeah, you can, you can still, but you have to be so elite in so many other areas to compensate for that lack of mobility. Uh, I, I, th- I think it's rare in the NFL, but I, I think it's more so in college that you need that mobility. Uh, switch gears, want to go to Eve Pons. He's been invited to the NBA Draft Combine. I still think he's coming back to Tennessee. I, and I don't think he's going to project to be a first-round draft pick. How do you see that? Well, I don't think he projects as a first-round draft pick, but if that was, if I was confident that that was his bar for deciding on whether to go pro or not, then I would probably have my percentage a little bit higher than I do. I still would lean towards him returning to Tennessee. I think that would be a great move for him. But we don't know how much he's ready to, how badly he's ready to move on and be a professional, even if it's not him being drafted in the first round with that guaranteed contract. So 
those are the things. And then what's the specific feedback? You get that invite to that draft combine, which is set up, if it happens, it's set up to help the NBA folks further scout those players. It will give the players more of a feedback on where they realistically stand with the NBA team. So if they can make something like that happen, I think that would be useful and it would be smart for him to participate. But they, the NBA hasn't committed to when that's going to happen, where it's going to happen, the format it's going to happen, or if it's even going to happen. It's a list just to put it on the radar. And then if they, if they were to try to set something like that up, if it's too late, kids may already have had to make a decision in terms of getting into school uh, before even that deadline. So it may end up being that combine, they put out all those invites, they may end up only being for those that have already declared and not for kids that are hoping to use it to make a decision like it was originally set up to be. So we'll, well see Pons, if and when that – yeah, sorry, Pons, go ahead. Pons has till August the 3rd to declare whether he's coming back to Tennessee, and the draft's not till October the 10th. That's a small right, window but, for him. Right, but it was a, it was originally set up to be there for the Combine to – decide to help them decide so you know yeah it it's it doesn't look like it something like that could could happen before his decision but it was set up to be the 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 deadline was going to be originally 10 days after that combine would take place and certainly we're, we've run out of dates for that to happen so um it could very well end up being aware it's all guys that either have gone in or gone out um, I don't know how much of an influence that would be if he thinks that that gives him a better shot to be drafted higher because he's a part of that combine. Um, but, um, but yeah, I, I don't think he's projected as a first-round pick, but that I don't know that that's his bar. So we'll see. Our guest, Vince Ferrara, if you have a question or comment for Vince, 656-9900, 656-9900. Vince, we have seen Major League Baseball get its season going. We are right around the corner from the return of the NBA as it takes place this week. How do you think it stacks up for the VFLs that are in the bubble? Well, certainly the Boston Celtics are one of those teams that if you're looking for someone other than the Milwaukee Bucks, who going to be a lot of people's pick in the Eastern Conference. If you're looking for another team, I think Boston with Grant Williams is one of the places where I would start. I really like their improved roster and Tatum and the bench that they have. Brad Stevens and that group have really bounced back uh, from, uh, from their down year where they were questioned a lot last year with, with Kyrie. Uh, but I, I like them as as a a non uh, a non chalk pick in the East, so I think that would set up well for Grant Williams. I think for Admiral Schofield, it'd be a long shot with the Wizards, and I think the Miami Heat would be another team that I would look at in the Eastern Conference if you're looking for for someone different than the Bucks. So Kyle Alexander there. We'll see what kind of opportunity he would get. But he's in that bubble. They're playing today an exhibition game. And um, and so I think that, that sets up well for him. I, I, I'm, not sh- I'm not sure about the 76ers. They're going to be going to have a different look with, obviously, uh, 
Jay Rich and Josh Richardson and Tobias Harris, but they're going to have a different look with Ben Simmons supposedly now playing the four versus being that big point guard. I like that move for him, um, and we'll see how if that puts more of the ball handling responsibilities uh, on Josh Richardson. I think he could handle that, uh, but I'm not sure how it does for the whole mix of the team. And you know, Brett Brown, I'm uh, I'm still not completely sold in in terms of him being a championship coach. So I would put them maybe behind. Uh, Grant Williams and Kyle Alexander in terms of, of what I could project them going uh, in as far as a, a deep playoff run. So it's definitely concentrated uh, on the Eastern Conference. Yeah, and with Kyle, uh, he everything got shut down right about the time that he was in position to make his NBA debut. It really mm-hmm. is a remarkable story, but there is a chance that his first real NBA time comes this week, don't you think? Yes, and I haven't looked to see what you know what he did and has done in those exhibition games, but those could be ways to to show out. And he had some nice games uh, before the the season started in the exhibition. We were I was tracking those prior to the season. Actually, no, it was a summer league where he had some really nice performances. So um, yeah, it was unfortunate he didn't get to play out that opportunity but it it could very well be there for him uh in the uh in the postseason in that well in that run of the eight games in the regular season and then the postseason in the bubble so um just will be fun to track his development because rick barnes certainly believed in him and he definitely improved uh, at tennessee and now basketball is his his full-time job so he should get better We'll get a break. We've got a final segment to this hour of Sports Talk coming up. One more segment with Vince Ferrara as he joins us on the Stanley Fencing and Gates Hotline with Jimmy Hyams and John Wilkerson. You're listening to 99.1 The Sports Animal. Here at The Sports Animal, we never really grew up. We just learned how to act in public most of the time. Final segment to this hour of Sports Talk, our guest Vince Ferrara as he joins us on the Stanley Fencing and Gates Hotline to get a question or comment in under the wire, 656-9900, 656-9900. Vince, uh, Phil Steele, who does a terrific job with his magazine, has come out with his national rankings, and he's got Tennessee's offensive line with the highest ranking of all on the national level. He's got Tennessee at number six in the country with the offensive line. And then next is the defensive line at 13. Uh, your thoughts on those two rankings? Well, the offensive line, I could see it there. If things come together like Phil Steele is projecting that they would, you can make a case for this being a top 10 offensive line. You look at it having four positions with a five-star on it, and then your other position, you have a six-year returning starter in that group. So you definitely can make a case for, for that offensive line uh, to uh, being one of the best in the country. Interestingly enough, that still would put them third in the SEC <laughs> uh, in among uh, in Phil Steele's rankings because he has Alabama number one in the country, followed by Tennessee opponent 
at least at the moment, Oklahoma, number two, Notre Dame, three, Ohio State, four, Kentucky, five, and then Tennessee, six. So how about that? You're sixth in the country, but third in the SEC. Um, I, the, the question is, is what about Cade Mays? What about the development of those tackles? You know, you're, you're, you're hinging on no setbacks for Trey Smith. And then what about, you know, Brandon Kennedy as well with the injuries he's dealt with. He had, he played all, all games in a season for the first time last year. Can he follow that up once again with this bonus year? He's been granted my bigger I don't want to say question is, but debate might be Tennessee at 13 on the defensive line. And this goes back to pass rush and not having a star. A lot of those teams that are in front of Tennessee have a more than just a lunch pail type of group. And I'm not saying that's just what Tennessee has, but they have hard workers, guys that know their assignments, guys that got much better, were better than anyone anticipated last year. But I still think, even without Gooden, they need to elevate their play with a couple of stars taking a, a step forward. I don't know that you can just have depth, and they have depth and bodies and ex- plenty of experience with everybody coming back in addition to the freshmen. Maybe it's a freshman, maybe it's a redshirt freshman or a sophomore, but I think they need they need one or two guys to elevate more than what we saw last year as a collective unit. I think there's a little bit of a ceiling there if we don't see that from that group. So that would be a little bit of my hesitation with 13, but the defensive line is not what it used to be in college football, where it used to be SEC, 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 and then you'd have NFL player after NFL player after NFL player. There's not quite that depth of star power on the D line. You're you're not seeing the two first round picks in the on one line quite as much like an Auburn had last year, and we'll see how it impacts them this year. So I might have Tennessee a little bit lower than that, but. You know, they're, they're no, no, none of those groups are without question marks. So uh, I kind of understand people buying into it. You got a quarterback at 45, running back at 22. He's got linebacker at 18, defensive back at 18. Do you see those two position groups as close to being equal? Um, I think they both, both of those positions have upside, and maybe Phil Steele is taking that into account. Look, he does an hour call with all of these coaches. So, you know, some of the information he gets is either directly from the coaches or getting a vibe based on how they answer it on those position groups and what they bring back. So he's certainly got some validity to it, but not all cases is it, hey, the coaches, I'm telling you our group is going to be a breakout. They're not going into that kind of detail He's filling in and projecting for those groups. With the with the secondary, you know, Warren Burrell with another year, Jalen McCullough with another year, Keyshawn Lawrence I think is going to be the most impactful of the freshmen. Uh, another year for Bryce Thompson and Alante Taylor. There's uh, you have a consistency from Sean Schamberger. So there there are some pieces there in that secondary, but they're also not without questions. And linebacker is a little bit more even more of a unknown for me. Love Henry T. I think he is all SEC and before long All-American good. But after that, there's a ton of questions. There's potential, 
Kavars Crouch, Roman Harrison, some of those guys at outside linebacker. Um, I, I'm not quite as big on uh, Kevon Bennett as an every down outside linebacker. He and DeAndre Johnson have flashed, and I think they can get after the quarterback. But I, I need to see more of an every down productivity so you don't get picked on in the run game. If he has a larger role uh, at that outside backer spot, I think he needs to show that a little bit. Uh, or if he stays just in the pass rushing role and somebody else takes that reverse and second downs, and maybe as a collective they can get it done. But a little too many questions to me still for that group to maybe be a top 20. But, again, it can come together for them because they do have – players and newcomers, Tyler Barron and uh, a number of those guys that, that I think can, uh, you know, could potentially be really good. Martavis French can really be good players at Tennessee, but I, I still have to have to see it b- before I, you know, totally buy in for them as a top 20 collective unit. Vince, what will folks find r- right now at 991thesportsanimal.com? You can see my blog on the 32 VFLs in the NFL right now on active rosters. That takes Nigel Warrior off of that list, and then all the guys that were released this week breaks it down by division and by team, uh, by position, by uh, just a lot of different breakdowns. Plus it has the one-time Vols that moved on and finished their careers elsewhere. You can see where they're at in the NFL. There are a number of those, and then there's some that have local ties. John, as you know, that didn't play at the University of Tennessee, the Harrison Smiths and Randall Cobbs and, and others. So you can find all of that and much more. Uh, Jimmy's blogs, uh, Joel Joel's blogs, Eric's blogs, and a lot more on the blog section on our website and all our podcasts, daily stories on the Vols and uh, NFL. There's lots of national content there as well. So make it a daily stop. 991thesportsanimal.com and then don't forget to listen to In the Cage MMA Radio tomorrow night from 8 until 9. We will visit with Invicta FC a uh, uh, really good fighter who is based out of Knoxville, Scott Hotsauce Holtzman's teammate, Gina Gooden will join us on the show tomorrow. She just got her second Invicta FC win and we'll also talk about the last show at Fight Island and then Scott Holtzman's got an upcoming UFC show in a couple of weeks, and we'll look ahead to that as well. So busy in the cage MMA radio, 8 to 9 on Wednesday night. Vince, we really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Have a good show tomorrow on Sports 180, and we'll talk to you later in the week. Well, actually, we'll talk to you again next week. All right. Sounds good, guys. Have a great week. Be safe. See you. All right. You as well. That's Vince Ferrara joining us on the Stanley Fencing and Gates Hotline.